This will be a long, boring, and nerdy homily uh, that has nothing to do with the readings. But uh, I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks now because I've heard from several different students that a lot of their professors are speaking about these ideas about God that, frankly, one, is outside of their field, but also leads the faithful into error. And so I want to address three ideas that I've heard a few different times. The first is that God has divine foreknowledge. If God has divine foreknowledge and he knows all things, then you don't have free will. Then you can't decide anything. Or you have free will, and God doesn't have divine foreknowledge. It's one or the other, pick and choose. The second is intercessory prayer. Does it change anything? A lot of times you say, like, intercessory prayer is good for our mental health, it's good for stress. It may even just help us accept the will of God. But if God is almighty and he doesn't change his mind, how are your prayers going to change his plan and his mind? It's either that God changes his mind and he's not all-powerful and he doesn't have an, all, an, an eternal plan, or your prayers do nothing and they just make you feel better. So how do we understand intercessory prayer? And then the third and uh, classic uh, question is faith versus science. That either natural causes are the effect of things, or God is the cause of things. It cannot be both. So I'm going to spend the most time on this first question. It's going to help set up the answers to the next two. And the first question with divine foreknowledge, we have to look and see that divine foreknowledge, this at least this question of divine foreknowledge versus free will, is kind of an absurd question, and here's why. Boethius, the philosopher in um, the Middle Ages, in his book, The Consolation of Philosophy, talks about how God is above creation, that God as the creator is categorically above creation. And so therefore, God is also above time, which time itself is a creature, it's a creation. In fact, time is a little bit less than creation because time is simply a measurement of movement, a measurement of created things undergoing change. This is what we call time and the passing of time. And so whenever the question is being asked about divine foreknowledge versus free will, we assume that God is kind of sitting behind us here on Sunday, right beside us, and saying, Sunday, here you are at Mass. And in my foreknowledge, I will look at Monday with you and say, on Monday, you will do X, Y, and Z. But God does not turn the pages of time like we do, who are creatures and are changing and are in the middle of creation. God, rather, is outside of time, so that he doesn't turn the pages from Sunday to Monday, but rather Sunday and Monday are as the same day, as our Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That God sees all of time and all of creation as one almost as one moment, but to even speak of it as one moment is a little bit absurd. But God sees all of time together as one. So God doesn't necessarily have divine foreknowledge, 
as much as he has divine knowledge of all things. Now, that doesn't yet answer the question. It kind of sidesteps it and reframes it. Because now the follow-up question is, okay, well, there's still divine providence that God provides for all things and that God does have this plan. And so if God has this plan that cannot be frustrated, then how do we have free will? Since we can change things, that I can move this microphone forward and backward, and the microphone is moved forward and backward. And that God didn't necessarily directly cause me to do that. I did that freely. I just decided to do it. So how do I reconcile those two ideas? And this is where I'm going to pull out these uh, blue books called the Summa Theologica. And in these blue books, uh, I'm going to read things that uh, you will not understand. And then I'm going to do my best uh, to help us all understand them, and I might not do that either. But regardless, this is what St. Thomas Aquinas says in uh, his fourth article of this 22nd question in the Summa. And it's this, whether providence, providence is God providing, imposes necessity that things necessarily happen on things that are foreseen. He says, I answer that. Divine providence imposes necessity upon some things, not upon all things, as some formerly believed. Because providence, for to providence, it belongs to order things towards an end. Now, after the divine goodness, which is an extrinsic end to all things, the principal good in the things themselves is the perfection of the universe which the universe would not be perfect, were not all grades of being found in things. Therefore, it pertains to divine providence to produce every grade of being, and thus it is prepared for some things necessary causes, so that they happen of necessity. For other things, contingent causes. They may happen by contingency, according to the nature of their proximate causes. So what Thomas is saying here is that divine providence wants to achieve an end, a goal. God wants to achieve a certain end. That's what divine providence is. Now, all things are ordered to the divine goodness. That is, all things are made for the glory of God. But then, it says that all things are ordered to another end as well, and that is the perfection of the universe, that God intends for the perfection of the universe to be. Now, in order for the perfection of the universe to happen, there needs to be things that happen of necessity. For instance, that I stand on this floor and I don't fall through it. And when I take the next step, I will still be on this floor and I will still not fall through it. This is a cause that happens of necessity, right? That when I take the uh, clipboard, and if I were to drop it or let go of it, it would drop. Now, there are also things, Thomas says, that have to happen by contingency or dependent. When I decide to pick up the clipboard, the clipboard is picked up. When I decide to put the clipboard down, the clipboard is put down. The reason why Thomas says that both these things have to happen is because for the perfection of a thing, there have to be different grades. I'll give you an example. So if a person, a gardener, once says that you know what, the best plant is a magnolia tree. Now, the person wants to make a perfect garden, 
So he's not just going to put magnolia trees all throughout his garden. What he's going to do, he's going to put magnolia trees probably centered in the garden. And then he's going to put lesser kinds of plants surrounding it, maybe azaleas and rose bushes or um, other kinds of plants. And those lesser kinds of plants are going to bring out the beauty of the whole garden. Or like a painter. A painter would never say, gold is the best color, so what I'll do is take a canvas and just cover it in the color gold. And voila, I have made the perfect painting. It's gold. No, what the painter will do is that he'll layer it with different colors and put different kinds of shapes so that the whole painting has its own perfection. And so God, who desires the perfection of the universe, is not going to just have things happen by necessity, where he alone has everything determined and everything happens according to his own kind of preset design, but rather he's also going to have lesser causes that we can change things, that this brings about the perfection of the whole universe. He orders it to this good. And so in that way, divine providence is not frustrated. That in fact, our free will helps bring divine providence into fruition. We see this in in the book of Genesis, right? That God creates man and then he asks man to till the garden. This helps bring the garden into perfection. Now, the second point is this. Prayer. Does it change anything? Does prayer change anything? Now, as we know, the problem is if God has already decided some things, then how's my prayer going to change it? If God has decided that uh, my sister Lucy convert. Then, then God is going to allow her to convert. If God has decided that Lucy will not convert, then how is my prayer going to change that? Well, this is what St. Thomas says about prayer. In order to throw light on this question, we must consider that divine providence disposes not only what effects shall take place, but also from what causes and in what order these effects shall proceed. Now, among other causes, human acts are the causes of certain effects. Wherefore, it must be that men do certain actions, not that thereby they may change the divine disposition, but that by those actions they may achieve certain effects according to the order of the divine disposition. And the same is said to be of natural causes. And so it is with regard to prayer as well. For we pray, not that we may change the divine disposition, but that we might impetrate that which God has disposed to be fulfilled by our prayers. In other words, that by asking, men may deserve to receive what Almighty God from eternity has disposed to give. So what Thomas is saying here. And this piggybacks off of the last question that we discussed with providence, that God desires certain ends of things, but he allows us to affect those ends. So I take the microphone and I push it away and the microphone is pushed away. I take the microphone and I pull the microphone and the microphone is pulled. Now, this happens with natural causes, and we see this very clearly. And so with prayer, what God has also allotted 
we have to think of this in the order of creation, right? That God has allotted for us to affect creation. Now, God has also allotted certain effects to happen if I pray for those effects. So, to go back to the natural creation analogy, if I see, you know, a hungry man and I pass by him and I do not give him a piece of bread, then the man remains hungry. And I can't just say, well, if God willed for this man to eat, then he would will it. No, I could give the man a piece of bread and the man would not be hungry. And so it is in the same way invisible creation that God allows us to happen. So it is with intercessory prayer that God in his wisdom allots for some things to be affected only by our prayers. In the same way that God only allots for my hand to be the one to push this microphone, God allows for only some things to be won over by our prayers. So that if a person prays for Lucy, who is to convert, perhaps God in his wisdom allots, if Stacy does not pray for Lucy, then Lucy will not convert. But if Stacy prays for Lucy, then I will bring about her conversion. And we do not know these things, and God is not a machine. It's not like we put in you know, our, our prayer quarters and God spits out a result. We don't know. But we know that if we do not pray for certain things, then certain things will not happen. And that if we do pray for certain things, then certain things can happen. Because God allots for that in the same way that we can change visible creation around us, that we can bring about certain effects by our prayers. God allots for that in his wisdom. Then it does not change his disposition. It does not change his end. Now the third uh, point, faith and science. The classic problem is, you know, the ancient people had great faith. Because the ancient people couldn't explain why water fell out of clouds. So they said that God had did it. But then, as we've, you know, developed the Doppler radar and KTC, like we are able to see that God doesn't do this, that clouds do this. And we are able to see these patterns of creation and explain them. So that the understanding in this problem and this question is that God is some kind of like God of the gaps. Wherever there are gaps in our understanding, we say this is where God acts and steps in. I can't explain it. God did that. I can't explain it. God didn't do that. Natural things did that. This is the God of the gaps argument. And this comes from a fundamental uh, misunderstanding that's developed in uh, the uh, around the 1300s by this Franciscan friar named William of Ockham who comes up with this philosophy called nominalism. It's not worth getting into everything that nominalism means, but what nominalism did, the effect of it, was that it put God on the same level as creatures to where as that terrible song goes, like, God is one of us. And putting God on the same level as creatures 
Either God causes something or natural causes cause something. It cannot be both. And we see from these previous questions that we've discussed that God is not on the same level as us. God exists far above and beyond. He is transcendent above creation. And so it can be that God allows for natural causes to cause things, and God and God is as well the cause. For instance, it would be absurd to say that a man, a watchmaker, would make a watch, and this watch follows a certain rhythm, as God would create the world, and the world follows a certain rhythm, and the world has these programmed natural causes within them. It would be absurd if a person goes up to the watchmaker and says, hey, can you change the time on that thing? And the watchmaker says, no, I can't change it. I don't know how. The watchmaker would be able to turn the wheel and change the time. He can affect the creation. In the same way, God, as we talked about, who ordains the world and its perfection, also, and and primarily, not only the world's perfection, but also his glory, the divine goodness. So that God can step into the watch, so to speak. God can step into the creation and act directly. God can do miracles in that creation. Because the creation is ordered not just to its own programming, so to speak, but to God's glory. So that he can intercede in that creation itself. To further the discussion on faith and science, because this Homily could go a lot longer, but I just want to touch on one other point, is that as we eliminate these gaps in our understanding, the arrogance of the world of science wants to say, eventually we will be able to understand the meaning of the world. And this is an error, and it's a misunderstanding of what they themselves are doing in science. Because what science studies is something called material causes, matter. And it asks the fundamental question of how things happen. But because it only asks the question of how things happen, it can never uh, arrive at the answer of why things happen. If I am asking the question of how, 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 I never from that input get the output of why things happen. Only faith and philosophy can answer those questions, the significance of why things happen. So that in the field of science, a scientist goes out of his field and out of his expertise if he tries to explain the significance, the why of the world, whenever all he's been doing is asking the question of how this thing happened. And so, in sum, God is above all creation. And that explains a lot of the answers that come out of uh, this, like, this modern philosophical quagmire that we're in. But uh, also, just to know that if a professor or anyone, for that matter, tries to intimidate, you know that there are answers to these questions to these difficult questions. And that I don't have to say, you know what? The faith really isn't real, but what is real about the faith 
is that I simply have to love one another. But all the things that, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-good, I don't really have to believe that. As long as I leave church just being a better-behaved person. That's not the answer to these philosophical questions. There are real answers, and they're not the answers of just read it in the Bible and believe because God said so. It's not the answers that we are called to seek as Catholics. We're called to seek the truth and know that these answers are here. They are present. They have been thought about for 2,000 years in the church's tradition. They are nuanced, and they are accessible to us.